0: Amen. Give the Lord a praise offering today. Awesome. Awesome. All right. You can have a seat. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here. It's Father's Day. Can we celebrate our dads who are with us? We're going to be talking about that a little bit later on as well, but uh, we're just so thankful for our dads, and so thankful for all of you who are here. Those of you who are watching online, it's great to have you with us today. Ryan Chu is uh, one of our newest additions to our staff. He is the uh, director of worship for student ministry uh, here at Fairfax. Uh, An amazing, amazing young man. We're so thankful that God brought him uh, onto our team. And uh, Ryan has the announcements for today, so take a look at this.
1: Hey guys, if you don't know who I am, my name is Ryan. I'm the director of student worship. I started here maybe about three weeks ago. And when me and my wife first came, we thought it was going to be so awkward um, because we were new, but we just felt so loved and so welcomed by the Fairfax community. So if you're new here too, we want to welcome you. So come on and join us in the lobby. And if you're watching online, click the button above. So there are a few more ways to get connected here at Fairfax. One is by joining a group, and another is by joining a team. We love getting people involved here at Fairfax, so come join us in the lobby. And again, if you're watching online, hit the button above. So last week, we told you guys about Camp Girl. This week, we wanna tell you guys about a new sports camp that we have for our preschoolers called Game Point Camp. If you wanna know all the details about that and registration, just go to our website. July 4th weekend, save the date, save the date. We're having our Fairfax Summer Special Outdoor Services. It's gonna be a blast. It's gonna be a great time with family. I'm gonna be there, so I hope to see you there. Well, that's all the announcements that I have for you guys. I hope that you enjoy the message, and I'll see you soon.
0: All right, a lot of cool things that are going on this summer here at Fairfax. All that's made possible because of your generosity as a congregation. We talk about uh, the fact that one of our core values is uh, living a generous life, and we mean that in just kind of every way, generously, financially, uh, emotionally, uh, in every way, the use of our gifts and talents. And we're just so thankful for a congregation that lives that out. And uh, if you want to give as an act of worship uh, today, if you're watching online, there's a little button that says give at the top of the screen. You can start it. The process that way. If you're here in the sanctuary, uh, we don't pass an offering plate, but we have offering boxes in the back of the sanctuary. You can text uh, Fairfax Give to the number that's on the screen there and uh, start the process that way. So thank you so much for your generosity. Every week we have new folks that uh, become a part of Fairfax, start giving to this place. It's just so great to see how God is working in our midst. All right, so this is the final week of our study of Acts. And uh, it's been an incredible journey, 11 weeks, uh, one of the longest series that we've done, 11 weeks that we spent going through this amazing book, watching this journey of the church, the church being birthed, coming into existence, uh, growing from this little handful of folks in uh, some back alley room in Jerusalem to this uh, multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi uh, Racial, uh, multinational, global movement that God uses to change the world. It's just an amazing, amazing story, and that God continues to use to change the world. As we come to the end of the book, uh, Paul's in prison again. Uh, Paul was in prison a lot for his faith. He's in prison, he's on trial. In this case, he's been charged with uh, a couple of different charges. One of them is sedition, causing a, a riot. Uh, undermining the peace, uh, the, in the, the public peace, and he's been charged with heresy, uh, teaching uh, stuff that, from the perspective of the Jewish leaders, that undermines the teaching of, of Moses and the law of Moses. And the person that Paul is on trial in front of is a guy by the name of Festus. And Festus was the imperial administrator Uh, the the Imperial Administrative Governor of Judea. He represented the Roman government. And the reason Rome was involved in this trial, uh, because it's in Judea, it really doesn't have anything to do with Rome, but Paul wasn't convinced he could get a fair trial in Judea. And so as a Roman citizen, he had a right to appeal to Rome, to have the case heard in Rome. And so what Festus' role is, as this imperial administrative governor, is to listen to the case, and then to write a report, basically, and send it up the legal, kind of judicial chain, uh, and then, Rome, then Paul would eventually go to Rome and the trial would be heard and all of that. But Festus is a little out of his league for a number of reasons. One. He's a Gentile, he's not a Jew, so he doesn't really understand Jewish politics, he doesn't understand Jewish theology, he doesn't understand Jewish customs, none of that. And he's brand new in this role, he's just been placed in this role. And so Festus reaches out to King Herod Agrippa and asks him if he will kind of sit in on this trial. With him, and King Herod Agrippa was a member of the Herodian dynasty. It was a client dynasty, so that just meant that it it had all of its power because it was given power by Rome. so uh, King Agrippa was called a king, but he really didn't have any power. It was just power that was given to him by Rome. But his family, because he had grown up in Judea and his family had been a part of Judea for generations and generations and generations. He knew the Jewish customs. He knew kind of the Jewish politics, the Jewish theology, all of that. And so Festus asks Agrippa to be a part of these proceedings so that it can help Festus to kind of judge the case. So that's kind of the background for what we're looking at today. It's chapter 26. And so we get to this chapter, and uh, Paul is before before Festus and Agrippa and a bunch of other powerful people in this courtroom scene. And now he's given the chance to give his defense before the king. This is how it starts. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. And especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs, all of the controversies, all of that. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jews all know the way that I've lived ever since I was a child from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. And they have known me for a long time. They can testify if they're willing that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it's because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I'm on trial today. And then I won't read like the rest of it. It's really the whole chapter. But basically what Paul goes on to say is how he wants, as he's testifying before Agrippa and Festus, he's telling them how he once thought that Jesus was a heretic as well. And he thought that Jesus was out to destroy the, the faith of Abraham and Isaac and Moses the the God of Abraham and Isaac, that he was out to destroy all of that. So he did everything that he could to stop the spread of the gospel. He hunted down followers of Jesus. He put them in jail. He saw that they were executed. But then on one of his journeys, he's telling this in his testimony, in one of his journeys, he talks about encountering Jesus Christ and having this vision of Christ and it changes everything. And Paul comes to understand that Jesus Is actually the fulfillment of the Old Testament that in Jesus, the law of Moses and the promises of God are actually fulfilled. And so instead of trying to destroy the gospel, he says, I've given my whole life to communicating the gospel, telling as many people as I can about Jesus and how he changes people's lives. And I I want everyone to know. And so I've shared the gospel with Jew and Gentile and slave and free and male and female and powerless and powerful and religious insiders, and religious outsiders, like I've shared the gospel with everyone. And then he gets to the end of his defense, verse 21, and he says, that's why the Jews seized me in the temple courts, that's why they tried to kill me, but I have God's help to this very day, and so I stand here, I testify to small and great alike, I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Christ, the Messiah, would come, would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Now, Festus and Agrippa, two very different people, right? Agrippa grew up in this area. He's seen all these things. He was a little kid, actually, when Jesus died and was buried and rose to the dead, so he's kind of watched all this happen. Festus is this outsider. He's not familiar with any of these customs, and they respond to Paul's testimony in two very, very different ways. Festus responds this way, verse 24. At this point, Festus interrupts Paul's defense, and he says, you are out of your mind, and your great learning is driving you insane. So he thinks that Paul is nuts. He tells him that he's out of his mind. He tells him that all of his education, all of his doctorates, all of his degrees has just caused him to lose touch with reality. And from his perspective, all of this talk about Jesus rising from the dead, about there being this other king that is a greater king than Caesar, about this people following this new person and it turning the world upside down. All of this is complete and total nonsense and anyone who believes it needs to be put away for a very, very long time. But then look at what Paul says next, verse 25. He says, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things. He turns to Agrippa And he says, you know about these things. The king is familiar with these things. And I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. Now, Agrippa, like I said, would have been about eight years old when Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead. And so Agrippa would have grown up in the aftermath of all of that. And Paul knew that anyone who had lived in Jerusalem for like the last 20 years or the last 25 years couldn't just laugh off all of this Jesus stuff because they had seen too much. They, there was too much evidence for it, There were thousands of people who had witnessed all of these miracles that Jesus had performed. There were hundreds of people who had seen the resurrected Christ. We're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 500 people at one time saw the resurrected Christ. Christ, those are all of these people who had seen that. So most of these people that saw all these things were still alive. So if these things hadn't have happened, there would have been plenty of people around who could have said, no, 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 I was there. That never took place. Those 5,000 were never fed. That's just a story. Like all of that, lots of people to dispute it. Plus, you have all of these people who encountered the risen Lord who are living these transformed lives. Like Their behaviors are different, their attitudes are different, they're giving their stuff away, they're they're letting go of everything they have to help those around them who are in need. In many cases, they're laying down their lives to advance the gospel, all of this. So there's all of this evidence that the gospel that Paul's proclaiming is actually real, that it's not just a bunch of crazy talk. And so Paul turns to Agrippa and he says, you know this stuff is real. Like you've seen it, you've witnessed it, you know this is not just a bunch of crazy talk. And what's interesting is that Agrippa doesn't dispute anything that Paul is saying. Now Agrippa, he's large and in charge. He can do whatever he wants. It's a trial, he's in charge, he can say whatever. He can dispute it even if he thinks it's true, all that. But Agrippa does none of that. He doesn't dispute what Paul is saying is true. In fact, He, in essence, kind of concedes the truthfulness of what Paul is saying because he's seen it with his own eyes. So there's really nothing he can argue against. So he doesn't argue against it. Instead, he asks a question, and this is the question. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian? In other words, do you think in the midst of this trial you can convince me in a legal proceeding to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And then look at Paul's response. I love, Paul is so bold. Paul responds, short time or long, doesn't matter. I pray that God not, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today, which would have been all of these cultural elites, all of these other powerful people that would have been in the room, Paul says, I pray that they may become what I am, a follower of Jesus, except for these chains. Now, I think this encounter, this quirky little encounter between Paul and Agrippa and Festus kind of teach us some things uh, that are really, really important. The first is this, that the more confident you are in your calling, the less important circumstances become. The more confident you are in your sense of like why you're on this planet, why you're here, what your calling is, the less important your circumstances become. All of a sudden in this moment, King Agrippa realizes what Paul is doing. Paul is not using this trial to try to get the charges against him dropped. He's not using this trial to try to get out of jail. He is using this trial to try to persuade the king and everyone else who's there to put their faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul is not being a witness in his own defense. Paul is being a witness for Jesus. You know what I mean? It's a trial. And so when when you're the one that's accused and you're on trial, And you're put on the stand and you're given permission to talk like the assumption is that you are going to be a witness in your own defense. But Paul really doesn't see this as an opportunity to be a witness in his own defense. He sees this as an opportunity to be a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul understood his calling. Paul understood why he was on this planet. He understood what his purpose was. You know, at the very beginning of Acts, the very first chapter, when we kind of open this study up, Jesus comes to the disciples after his resurrection. He says, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's your mission, that's your calling, that's why you're here, that's why you've been put on this planet. And that's what Paul embraced. His calling, his mission was to advance the gospel. So his confidence in that calling transformed every situation he found himself in into an opportunity to live out that calling. And then after this trial, A bunch of other bad stuff goes down for Paul. He's sent to Rome, on his way to Rome, the ship that he's on gets into a huge storm. It's shipwrecked, he almost dies. Then when Paul gets to Rome, he's put under house arrest for two years. The reason two years is because the prosecutors in the Roman government, in the legal system, they had two years to make their case. So someone could be put in prison, not a real speedy kind of trial thing. Someone could be put in prison and then the prosecutors had two years to get all of their witnesses together. And of course, in many cases, they had to travel long distances, so it took a long time to get there. And then if you couldn't do that within two years, then you had to let the person go. So the fact that Paul was under house arrest for two years means that you know, they were waiting for all of these folks to come and to testify. And apparently no one came and testified because he had to stay there two years under house arrest. On the surface... It looks like everything in Paul's life is going wrong. He's been falsely accused, he's been imprisoned, shipwrecked. We didn't have time to talk about the fact that at one point, there's an assassination attempt on his life, but then you get to the final two verses of the book of Acts, and this is what you read. So we get to the very, very end of the book. This is the last thing that's said by Luke. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in this rented house his house arrest, welcomed all who came to him. And boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's it. Like, that's how the book ends. Like, it doesn't tell us if Paul goes to trial or not. It doesn't tell us whether Paul gets released or not. It doesn't tell us whether Paul is put to death or not. Tradition tells us that at some point, Paul was, was imprisoned and put on trial and then put to death, but we don't know if this was the time or if it was sometime later. It just ends, it just the book just ends by saying, while Paul was in prison, he preached the gospel boldly and without hindrance, boom, end of story. And it's when you get to the end of the book of Acts that you realize that the book of Acts is not about the story of Paul. The book of Acts is about the story of the gospel because for Luke who's writing the book, He doesn't really care in telling the story of what happened to Paul, because the story is not about Paul. What's important is what happened to the gospel, and the gospel kept advancing, and the gospel kept growing, and the gospel kept being boldly declared, and the gospel continues to be boldly declared. That's what Luke cared about what happened to the gospel. That's all he cared about, and that's all Paul cared about. Paul, in essence, was saying, you can imprison me, but you cannot imprison the gospel. You can kill me, but you cannot kill the gospel. You can limit my movement and my advance, but you cannot limit the movement and the advance of the gospel. Like, nothing will stop the gospel, gospel from doing the work that God has called the gospel to do. Paul was so confident in the gospel and in his calling to bear witness to the gospel that every circumstance he found himself in was an opportunity to live out that calling. Here's the deal. When you're not confident in your calling, when you're not quite sure why you're on this planet, not quite sure what your purpose is in life, not quite sure what really the big narrative is and the big story is, then all that matters are your circumstances because your circumstances will then determine the quality of your life. If the circumstances are good, then life is good. If the circumstances are bad, then life is bad. But when you're confident in your calling, when you know what your purpose in life is, when you know why you're on this planet, then it doesn't really matter that much what the circumstances are because every circumstance, good or bad, just becomes another opportunity to live out your calling. So regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what you're facing, it's like, what opportunity is here to live out the reason for my existence? What opportunity is here to live out the purpose of my life? Like when you are clear and confident in your calling in the sense of why you are here, then the circumstances really become less and less important. Second thing is this. I think it teaches us that reason alone will never lead you to certainty. There's no indication in the text anywhere that King Agrippa ever put his faith in Jesus Christ, even though Agrippa had seen the same things that Paul had seen, he knew there were credible witnesses to the miracles of the gospel. He knew Jesus rising from the grave could not be disproved. He knew the tomb was empty. He knew no one could produce a body. He knew people were being transformed by the gospel so much that they were willing to lay their life. Like He knew all of that. Reason, reason would lead a person like Agrippa to believe that the gospel that Paul was preaching was true. So why doesn't Agrippa say yes to the gospel? Think about it. He's got the most persuasive evangelist in the history of the world who is sharing the gospel with him. And Paul does the most incredible job of sharing the gospel. It's logical reasonable, but it's also emotional, and it touches at the heartstrings, it appeals to the head, it appeals to the heart, it points out all the evidence of why the gospel is true, but then there's also this narrative, this compelling narrative of Paul's own story of how he was a murderer, and he was out to kill all these Christians, and then Jesus got a hold of his life and turned his life around like this. This presentation of the Gospel has absolutely everything. So why doesn't Agrippa become a follower of Jesus? Because reason can only take you so far. Reason increases the probability, perhaps that something is true, but it it can't make you certain. For those of you who have uh, jobs where you, you hire people, like you experience this all the time in the decisions you make uh, to hire someone. Like you can examine resumes, you can interview people, you can check the references, um, you can look at whatever they've done in the past. Maybe they've been in the organization and you've seen them work in the organization in some other job and they did a good job and so you think, well, if they did a good job here, maybe they'll do a good job here. Like you can do all of that and you can examine that and you can, whatever it is, like you can use your reason to take all of that information and arrive at a pretty high level of probability that this person will be great in this role. But you can't be absolutely certain, as as probably you've experienced. You can't know with absolute certainty that they're going to kill it, that they're going to knock it out of the park, that they're not going to fail in some way. In fact, If you waited until you had absolute certainty before you hired someone, you would never hire anyone. But in two or three years, like after you make the decision, after you've committed, and now two or three years down the line and you've watched them do this job and you've watched them have success after success after success, then you can reach a level of certainty that this was a really, really good choice that you made two or three years ago. But you can't get that kind of certainty before the decision. Like, that's the kind of certainty that only comes after the commitment. That's why you can't reason your way into a relationship with Jesus, because reason can only take you so far. Reason will not get you to the point of absolute certainty. You have to make a decision. You have to commit To be able to get to a point of absolute certainty. I love it when people, you know, think through this Jesus thing as they're trying to make a decision of following Jesus and 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 putting their their stake in the sand and saying, "Here's, here's what my life is gonna be about. I'm gonna give, I'm gonna trust what Christ did for me. I love it when people think through that process and it's not just you know an emotional thing that happens, they're thinking it through, they're asking questions, they're talking to others, they're processing, they're using this reason, this brain, this reason that God has given them for examining the evidence and, and saying, does this make sense and is this where I wanna give my life, this is what I wanna give my life to, all of that. I love that, I love the process of that. And maybe for some of you, like that's where you are. You are in this process of thinking this through, looking at this, trying to decide, decide. You know, I, I feel strong about it, but I'm not sure I'm ready to like make that final decision and really, really commit to following Jesus. And maybe that's where some of you are, but it also may be that some of you have gotten a little stuck at that point. Like you've come as far as reason, can take you. Like you're looking for a certainty before you make the decision. Before you commit, you're looking for a certainty that you will never get to until after you commit, until after you make the decision. There's so many examples of that in every aspect of our life. That there is a certainty that you simply cannot get to until you are willing to commit. A certainty you cannot get to until you are willing to say yes, to make the decision. And for some of you, maybe on this Father's Day 2021, maybe this is the day. Maybe you've come as far as reason can take you. And and this, this is the moment. Of saying, i need to saying, I need to make a decision here. I need to commit here. There's a certainty that I will never get to until I'm willing to commit. And for some of you, maybe that's today. That today, as we look at his word, as we worship, that in your heart, there is just this decision to say, yes, I am making this commitment to follow Jesus. And then the third thing is this, last thing is this. I think this teaches us that the gospel gives us a place, a sense of place, a place to belong. As Paul's sharing with uh, Festus and Agrippa about this encounter that he has with Jesus on the road to Damascus, he, he tells them, as part of his testimony, he tells them like what Jesus um, commissions him to do. And this is part of that commissioning. Jesus says to Paul, I'm sending you to them, talking about all the people he's going to share the gospel with, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins. That's one thing, but he goes on, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That they may experience forgiveness of sins, but also find a place among the sanctified, among others who have said yes to Jesus. Jesus tells Paul that this gospel that he's sending him out to share is not just about receiving forgiveness, it's also about being given a place, a place where you belong. When you decide to follow Jesus, it's not just that you are forgiven. That's huge, right? You're forgiven. The slate is wiped clean. You're no longer defined by your past. You're no longer defined by the worst decisions that you've ever made. You can start over. You can start anew. You can face the future with hope and not have to drag the baggage of the past. Like That's huge. You accept Christ as your Savior, that you receive the forgiveness of sins. But you receive more than that. You are not just forgiven, you are adopted. You are adopted into this family, this family that we've been reading about for the last 11 weeks, this family that the Bible calls the church, this family where you are accepted, this family where you are loved, this family, where you are blessed. You know, all of us want our lives to be blessed. We, we look for blessing. Whether we call it blessing or not, we look for blessing. And it's a blessing that only God can give. And, and when we don't realize that, we look for that blessing in lots of other ways. But it's a blessing. Our heart longs for a blessing that only God can give. But as the family of God, like we are stewards of that blessing. As the family of God, we are instruments of that blessing. That we, we pass that blessing along to, to those who are around us in the family. We, we give the blessing to those that we worship with. We, we pass the blessing along to the people that were in small groups together with. We we pass the blessing along to the people that we serve alongside the teams that we're on. And if we're a mom or a dad, we pass that blessing along to our kids and to their kids and to their kids. Generation after generation after generation after generation. So receive the blessing that is yours. In Christ, you are not only forgiven, you have a place in a family. A family that accepts you, loves you, and blesses you. So receive the blessing that is yours. And then pass the blessing along to all of those that God has placed within your sphere of influence. God, we are so thankful for the story of the gospel, this story that continues on, this story that doesn't end at Acts 28, but (laughs) continues to be written in our lives, this story of the gospel that that transforms lives and, and redeems us and changes us and forgives us and gives us a place to belong. And so, Lord, we pray that that for those of us who know you and for those of us who have accepted you, that we would embrace our calling, that we would understand our calling, that we would understand the reason why we, why we are on this planet, the reason for our existence, Lord. And we know that because of our different gifts and talents and passions and ability, we all live it out differently, but we are all called to be your witnesses. So allow that calling to transform every circumstance we find ourselves in, every situation that we find in, may it simply be an opportunity to live out who we are and what we're called to do. And Lord, for those who are watching today or in this space today, and, and they've, they've come as far as reason can take them, and now is the time to make a decision, Lord, I pray that today would be the day to experience a certainty that can never be experienced this side committing to you can never be experienced this side of deciding to follow you that today would be the day that they say yes to your forgiveness and your grace and Lord I pray that we would receive your blessing even in this moment and that we as instruments of that blessing would pass that blessing along to those that you have placed in our lives. In the name of Christ, we pray, amen. Let's stand. Today.